slow. It's okay for things to take time. We can be efficient and productive in our outer life, but our souls can only go so fast. In North America, slow is a countercultural word. There's nothing good about slow in the eyes of this fast-moving, go, go, go culture. Yet our soul can only move as fast as the speed of transformation. Transformation takes time. So it is good to accept that and allow the inner pace of our lives to move at that speed. Hurry is costing you more than you realize. Our guests today are going to help you live an unhurried life. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. Yes, you can tell I'm beaming again. I am super excited to have today's guest. Oh my goodness, I've done walk today, I've taken deep breaths, I've done my breathing, my meditation, but I'm still super excited because we have with us, drumroll please, <laughs> Alan and Jem Fadling. They are just remarkable human beings, number one, and number two, just... Oh, they herald a message of unhurried living. And I've been listening to them since day zero, I'm sure of it from the get-go. And thankfully now there's a podcast and we can listen to them whenever we want to. Back in the day when I started, there wasn't. But I want you to get to know Jem and Alan. Uh, Jem's the founding partner of Unhurried Living. This is a nonprofit that trains leaders to overcome hurry. <laughs> yeah, H-U-R-R-Y and live intentionally. She's a trained spiritual director, a formation coach, and a retreat leader. And she enjoys serving as a guide, which oh, you know how much I love that. Helping people engage the process of transformation. She is the author of What Does Your Soul Love? Eight Questions That Reveal God's Work in You. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. And then Alan's an MDiv, and he serves also as a frequent speaker until last March when the brook dried up, and now it's going to come back and be overflowing. And he's a consultant with local churches, national organizations, leaders internationally. And this is so true. This is his bio, but it's truth. His content is approachable. And Alan, that's what I love most. It's usable right away mm. and transferable. He shows leaders how to get perspective to their leadership so their leadership flows. Yes, you heard me say flow. It's one of our tenants in this community from a full soul, full soul, and out of healthy rhythms of rest and work. He too is a, is a trained spiritual director, and he's the author of An Unhurried Life, which is where I started, and An Unhurried Leader. So welcome, welcome. So happy to have you both here. Thank you for giving us of your time. You're generous, so generous. It's great to be with you, Janelle. Thanks for the, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for saying yeah. <laughs> so your ministry, your work, your life is imbued on and just 
filled with the beautiful contemplative practices that I love. And I've been introducing my community here to silence, solitude, and stillness. And you stand on a very well-built platform of unhurried living, Mm. unhurried life. And then you added to that unhurried leadership. Where were you 30 years ago? No, it's okay. Mm. That's a way of being in the world and a way of leading in the world. Can you just pour, let it pour out of you (laughs) what that looks like? What does that mean to us? Well, so unhurried living, you know, I talked with a lot of leaders and I make them nervous when I say that phrase, you know, because, because they think I'm saying, you know, cut your calendar in half or stop doing as many things. And you might decide that'd be a good thing for you to do. But really, when we say unhurried living, we're talking about the, the state of your soul. You know, Dallas Willard liked to say, busy and hurried aren't the same thing. Busy is your calendar. Hurry is your soul. So that's what we're talking about, that we it seems to us that if we follow a Savior who is unhurried, you never see Jesus in the pages of the gospel frantically rushing about, anxiously trying to solve a problem worried about what might come next. He's the antithesis of that. He is an absolute prince of peace. Well, if we follow such a savior, then that might have an impact on the nature and the state of our souls. And so that's the spirit of what we mean by, you know, unhurried living. Mm -hmm. Jim? Well, yeah, I mean... (laughs) That's my that's my favorite way to talk about it as well, that it has more to do with what's going on inside of you. Yes. Could you maybe, yeah, elaborate on the yeah. soul so, and give us I a mean, little soul in teaching? Like what is that? <laughs> a little theological? Yeah. So, I mean, we all have lives. We may have family, friends, work, all the to-dos, calendars. We have smartphones with us all the time, beeping and whizzing and whirring. And there's just stuff going on all the time. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that stuff. Mm. We can learn to engage that. I'm calling it all stuff just as an abbreviation. Yes, that's a great way to do it. All the stuff of our lives. Mm -hmm. And yes, let's be real. Some of us have, are doing too much. Maybe some of us aren't doing enough, but whatever the amount of stuff you're doing, who you are, Mm. as you do whatever you do, matters way more than we realize or give credit for. And who you are is really developed in that unhurried place. You don't just, you know, love real quick or be peaceful real quick, right? Oh, oh, wait, let me come to peace. Okay, here I go. I mean, (laughs) I'm not anxious anymore. I'm not anxious right now. You you know, just lay down your anxiety real quick. Mm. I mean, so we like to work with people and and it takes time. Because you have to mm-hmm. let go of some things, undo some patterns, yeah. and you have to begin some new patterns. And yeah. so there's this process and this journey of letting go and embracing, right? Yes. All for the purpose of this place inside becoming unhurried. And as, as Alan said, it's really the model of Jesus that we're following because he mm-hmm. did a lot. He sure did. <laughs> But And Alan can elaborate on this, but when he was beginning to write An Unhurried Life, one of the things he did was read the Gospels and just with an eye for how is Mm -hmm. Jesus unhurried? Did you want to talk about that? That's a great, great foundational place. Please put me inside your brain. Yeah. So I remember hearing 
Dallas Willard once say that uh, if he had one word to describe Jesus, the word he'd choose is relaxed. And I remember the first time I heard that, I really kind of struggled. I didn't know if that was a good thing. I'm I'm picturing Jesus in a recliner watching <laughs> television or something. It's like, what do you mean relax? What's that? I just couldn't see that as good. I couldn't. And, and that word was a hard word to see Jesus in. But but it wouldn't go away. It sounded like there was some wisdom in it that I needed. So I took about a three-day retreat, and mostly what I do, did was read and reread the Gospels with that question in mind. Is Jesus relaxed? Little by little, it became, is Jesus unhurried? Mm-hmm. And the more I read the Gospels, the more I began to think that that really is a genius description of him. Of like he is. is unhurried enough no matter how crowded the crowds get, he is unhurried enough for time with his father that no matter what is happening, he notices the person in front of him. He doesn't rush past people to get things done. Um, say that again, please. Just yeah, so say it he, again. Mm. He knew that the great commandment is the great commandment is the great commandment, period, end of sentence. He lived that. And the reason he lived that is because his father is love, and he's living in communion with the father, and the father's love is shaping who he is becoming in this human life, this incarnational life that he's come to live. Mm -hmm. And all of that is an embodiment of divine reality. Like, this is who Jesus is. So the, the one on the side of the road that, in the disciples' view, is getting in the way of their wonderful progress to the next item on their agenda Yes. Is the one Jesus will stop for. That's what unhurried living will do. And then, you know, the other thing I, I noticed is that Jesus had the time to focus on what really matters. For example, making mm-hmm. disciples, like the kind of investment relationally that it yeah. takes to walk alongside a few to help them begin to embody, like him, this right. kingdom way of life. He invested an immense amount of time in a few folks yeah. at, at inner circle. That, but that was his strategy. That was his mm-hmm. unhurried way of bringing the kingdom into a greater expression of reality. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful yeah. because yesterday's, I guess, in the church calendar it was to read John 17 and talk about uh, mm-hmm. you know Jesus's last prayer, and his last prayer was for unity. And you know, he says so strategically there, "I came and I did." I, I served, I loved, I did, and took care of who you told me to take care of. The world was not mine to come take care of. I was faithful to who you told me, right? And is that kind of what you're you're saying? He was so in alignment with his father's business, as mm. it says, that he just knew what was unfolding in his day. And the fact that you, you just said he didn't rush by anybody. Yeah. So this, this gets at, it's one pathway into our anxiety. Oh. And the pathway into it is to say, Jesus doesn't give us too much to do. He just doesn't. So if I have too much to do, I could just ask myself a question. What have I added to the actual invitation of Jesus in my life, in my case, as a husband, as as a dad, as a, a mentor to leaders, as a writer, all the different pieces of my day-to-day mm-hmm. activity. If I'm feeling overwhelmed, what have I added to the yoke that Jesus has given me 
that's causing me so much hurry. Oh my so that at least helps me. I actually have that's enough smart. time for the things God's given me to do. Oh, Jim, do you have anything? Because <laughs> I'm just bursting at the seams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I've never, I mean, I'm sure that I've heard that. I don't know if yeah. you, as I've listened to everything you said, Alan, you may have said that in something, but today it's yeah. hitting really close to home that what am I adding? Hmm. What am I adding that isn't mine to do? I like to say it, everybody's business is not my business. Mm-hmm. My business is the father's business, but I really yeah. like that mathematical, you know, what am I adding? That does definitely comes from, sorry, we had a little conversation about our Enneagrams and can I say what you are? Sure. <laughs> so Alan's an Enneagram five and Jem is an Enneagram seven. So the, coming from a five, that just makes sense. Like, what am I adding that isn't mine to add? And so I was thinking, you know, am I adding even on an emotional level, you know, I'm yeah. adding burdens. And so I'm adding distress. I'm adding not just physical things, but emotional things that aren't mine to bear either. Jim. Yeah. This is, this is the work I'm doing right now with, with groups, with groups of women, we're doing coaching women on thoughts and narratives. And that's exactly what you're just talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, we might be adding too many things to our calendar. It's likely, although during a pandemic, a lot of things were taken away. That's a whole nother conversation. Yes, we'll have it. But, (laughs) but normally, just a little bit of one. Yeah. Yeah. But normally we have a lot of things on our calendar, but as I talk with women, there's, there's these layers, right? So we've got the layer of the circumstance here, which we don't have control over. You don't have control over what's happening or what other people are doing. No. What you do have control over, because it's one of the fruit of the spirit, is we have self-control. Ooh. So I can use my ahead. happy self-control to notice my thoughts. Because a lot of times it's our thoughts that are adding extra weight. I picture like a barbell, you know, a barbell on your back or whatever. I you're do. trying to do a deadlift or whatever. And so the circumstance in and of itself is Heavy. weight. But when I add on you know, critical thoughts or negative or shaming or whatever, list all the ways I can make something heavier. If I keep adding on all those weights and I'm trying to lift, no wonder we're exhausted. So there is the outer, I might be doing too much. There's also the inner, Mm -hmm. the thoughts I'm allowing to stay. Yes. Can I notice those? Can I discern them? Mm -hmm. Can I choose differently? Mm-hmm. And or I could just say the way I am and just keep being exhausted and overwhelmed <laughs> and depressed and anxious and more and more <laughs> sleepless yes. and all of the above, miserable. all of the above. And I'm not saying just by our ma- th- magical thoughts do we make things disappear. I'm not saying no. that. I'm saying really though, there mm-hmm. is a layer of angst that we can stop adding. Yes. Alan, what did you say a minute ago? That's where the anxiety has the entrance. Yeah, so that's what actually that's kind of what I'm getting at when I talk about the yoke of Jesus being well fitting. It's not burdensome. It's not too heavy. Jesus isn't giving me too much to do. So when I talk about what I'm adding, I'm really talking about about what Jim just said, which Mm -hmm. is to say, almost always what I've been adding is anxiety. Mm -hmm. I add anxiety to the invitations Jesus gives me. Like I, 
I'm not a natural writer. I find writing a book a highly anxious process. I have to wrestle with my feeling of why would anybody want to read this thing I'm writing? Just all that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's self-doubt. That's self-doubt. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. I never struggle with he that. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I've got a whole list of things I add to Jesus. That's guilt. self-doubt, right? Yeah. So imposter syndrome those, ever? Like, yeah. Hmm? Like imposter oh yeah, syndrome. totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, I think mm. I think that's a human reality. I don't think mm-hmm. that's just a few of us. Correct. No, I think and so. All that to say then, that's where for me, for example, learning how to take a line from scripture like something as simple as the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Mm. Now, I could see that as a nice, inspiring, you know, social media meme. Like, hooray. Yeah, that's my nice. lake. But but it's not real. It's not actually affecting mm-hmm. my real experience. It's just a nice line from scripture to agree with, right. theoretically. Or mm-hmm. I could say, actually, no, this this is David describing the nature of the kingdom of God. That yes. when Jesus is my shepherd, when the Lord is my shepherd, I really will not find myself in a situation of want. The kind of want that is deprivation level want. Correct. I'll actually experience that I'm being well shepherded. That that impacts my anxieties. Because my anxieties are evidence that I'm not quite buying that. Oh, I love the way you're saying that. I'm just not buying it. Yeah. <laughs> Next therapist said, you're just not buying it. And you're not buying into the scripture. <laughs> so good. That's so good. Smart, but it's, but so it's a gentle way to say it. It's it's a gentle way to say, you know, these things we say, the reason you can believe them is because they're real. It's yes. not just you should believe them because they're they're you know true and they're they're what God demands of us. You shouldn't worry. Stop that worrying you. Mm-hmm. But instead, you could just say, well, actually, worrying is not a great reflection of the reality in which I find myself in Christ. It's just, you know, I'm I'm being well shepherded. So That's the essence of the like I was sharing this morning with a client, you know, um, between ego and essence, right? Our essence, like if we can make it from our head down to our hearts and it, it it comes into our soul and begins to dwell there, we know that we don't have any wants. We can know, know, know it, you know, but then it's working it out in our flesh, correct? And, and sure. Yeah. So, so good. I wanted to just get your opinions because I value them so much. And I know that uh, my community is going to as well. So, we're in this global pandemic. How many times have we heard that? I'm just eager to hear your wisdom uh, since we're talking about these ways that we let anxiety in and what we can do with them. I love, Jim, your thoughts. Really just about the, the thought process, you know, the feeling, the sensation, what you're trying to do with women now. I think we've been shockingly invited into lockdown, into quarantine. You know, it's been an invitation, but it's been a shocking invitation. Mm-hmm. And I don't want you to perceive me, guys, oh, heart lifters, that I'm being judgmental in any way. It's very personal to me. But I have had activities taken off my calendar, but I still find a deep sense of un, of hurry inside my soul, right? It's like, what's your thoughts on that? What's your opinion on that? Hmm. What's your wisdom on that? Why are well, we still unhurried and <laughs> Yeah. So a couple of words come to mind immediately when we talk at this level. And that is, I think a a couple of things are at play, value and worth. Hmm. 
and then productivity, which is a measure. So I think there's some measurements that we're accustomed to having, you know, I, I do things to prove I'm valuable, to prove I'm worthwhile. And when those things aren't happening, then the question rises, who am I? Mm-hmm. And then in North America, for where we live here, and in California especially, productivity mm-hmm. matters so much. It's like the air we're breathing. Like if I'm not doing something or doing something important and then showing people that I'm doing something important, I don't matter. Yes. You're and speaking our language. This is exactly yeah. <laughs> what we, we come down to. I have value, worth, and dignity. Yes. Period. Yes. And the thing is, this is the other thing about an unhurried life is you take the time to remember these things. I am oh. valuable. I am worthwhile. We just forget. So we forget to remember. Oh, I'm so what's, excited you said that. <laughs> what's real. And this again, this is why I'm bringing the word unhurried. Again, to illustrate what Alan was saying, a lot of people think unhurried is, again, something about moving slow, being slow, right. doing half. We're not saying that. We're saying unhurried is when you take time Thank for you. the things that really matter, one of which is remembering what you forget, which is that you're valuable, worthwhile, and you're not a machine. No. See, productivity is a machine language, I think. It is. So you're a human being. And then we have this catastrophic, you know, the pandemic, but the one of the catastrophes of that then was when everything's removed, now all you have is time. <laughs> and now you've had to come face to face with all the things you've been running from Thank you. Yeah. Most people don't know how to deal with that. They don't even know where to start working with what they're actually thinking and feeling. And it just becomes overwhelming. So now that, now that productivity is removed, now we move to numbing and yes. escaping and a whole nut. That's a, that's a whole nother piece. Mm-hmm. We're inviting people to come. I don't know if it's in the middle of that or underneath it or above it, wherever it is, come to the place of some moment of inner rest where you can just take a look in your work. Mm-hmm. You talk about the inner observer. Yes. You know, so I love the inner observer because, you know, she's just one, you just take one step back, right. Yes. And you look at what's going on and remembering that you have the freedom. Ah, oh, that's it. To choose. Oh, there it is. So that's what, that's, and that's an unhurried life, right? You mm-hmm. have the freedom to make decisions about what is important yeah. And what you will do and not do. Oh, no, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> She's got amen. You need an amen sign. Amen. I do. Oh, that's a great idea. That would be a great way to manage my, my enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you just absolutely brought to the table something that I have recently, through the pandemic, particularly in sessions with people in my life and other people, they don't know they have the freedom to choose. Yes. I see that all the time. Do you? Yes. Oh, yes. They forget. I think book. they know That's it, but it. they forget. That's your next book. What? Oh, remember Remember what you forgot? Remember, you can choose. <laughs> <laughs> you can choose. I don't know. You know, I think that especially in the realm of trauma, childhood trauma, I work predominantly with women, but it's men as well, but- that you don't, myself at the front of the line, I think I've recently just realized I can think for myself. I can actually talk for myself. I can use my voice. And in our community, we equate voice with our value. Once I know I have value, yeah. hmm. 
well, then I have a voice. And so, you know, and I can choose. Why is that such a revelation? That's one of the reasons hurry is such a problem because hurry makes my world small. Hurry makes me feel like the only options I have are the ones that are immediately in front of me and the only feelings, the only thoughts. It's all this right now, this tunnel I'm in. When you slow down, your perspective widens. Ah. Jim talked about you get just you get the opportunity to just be one step back from your thoughts. Instead yeah. of being your thoughts, right. you have thoughts. That's a very different oh. orientation to your thoughts. You can actually look at the thought process going on in your head and say, that doesn't seem so helpful. Instead of being in, in the middle of the thoughts and just thinking this is the only thing I've got to manage and I've just got to do the best I can with what is right yeah. here. Well, the so adrenaline's so high yeah. when you're in hurry too. Oh right? my goodness. Oh. I lived, well, then, I've, yeah. I've lived, I remember eating Dr. Archibald Hart's teaching from Focus on the Family oh, back yeah. in the day when that was the only radio process. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, I'm addicted to adrenaline. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you you don't, you've got to stop all that flow, you know, to be able to be able to step back and catch your breath. Oh my gosh, that is so yeah. Well, isn't it true to you? Maybe you can tell me, I think this is true. I mean, the adrenaline flow flood is a part of what happens that cuts off the mm-hmm. right here, right? Prefrontal. The frontal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you're, then you're only dealing with the backside the limbic, and it's, the all, whole, it's all yep. just like reacting. The amygdala, the amygdala, the firing, yeah, the firing, yeah. the firing. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so that, that unhurried way then can help you, you know, reduce the adrenaline flow get back to here, which is where we want to be so that we can make these decisions. That's why it can feel to some people unmanageable because I think they are in a, in a flow. It's that hyper hyperactivity, hyper productivity Mm -hmm. and the go, go, go and the rush, rush, rush. You almost can't move to that spot unless you stop for a minute, right? You can't do it in the midst of that. Well, talk to us about that because that, that was definitely an, uh, a lead into what might be a first step. I mean, yeah, I've spoken about it from my own perspective here on the podcast, but I'd love to hear your stories of perhaps how that might have happened or just how do we, you know, the, the pandemic just like, it's like somebody pulled right that line on a train or whatever and the stops you know, and everyone's just jarred. I mean, I can remember going, what do you mean we have to stay put from March 30th till June 11th? I remember going when the governor of Virginia said that, and I said, oh, that's hilarious, you know, and here we are, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Did you want to say something? The question is, what is that? In case you forgot. (laughs) Yeah. What are we answering? Yes. We can think for ourselves. We can talk for ourselves. We can make choices. But that takes time. How, what do we do when we're just jarred to a stop? So, so there's a few things that I would say, okay. maybe, maybe a couple particularly. So one, there's the question of what do I do in that moment? And that's mm-hmm. a good question to ask. What do I do in that moment? Yeah, I love that. But I, even to take a step back from that is how do I want to live so that when I come to those moments, I'm a person who can navigate them a bit better. So this is where, to me, the language of spiritual formation comes into play. What kind of person am I becoming? Am I, little by little, coming to trust more fully that I actually have a good shepherd, that actually my concerns are his concerns, Mm. and that rather than frantically worrying about them, thinking that will move the ball forward, 
I might be better off trusting a good shepherd to care for me, to provide what I need, to guide my steps, to do all the things good shepherds do. And for me, that has been about practices of stepping back, like solitude or silence Mm -hmm. or stillness, or these are all the undoing practices. These are the not doing practices. That's a really good way to say it. I, I tend as a leader to think that spiritual practices are lots of doing, other doing. So right. alongside my family doings and my job doings, then I have spiritual doings. Oh, but actually, did you write well, that? Is that even a book? I missed it. It's just been so long since I, I read think it. I've ever said it that way. No. <laughs> well, write that down for that next book. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> undoing, undoing, Ooh, undoing I love it. kinds of practices is really the longer I go, what I really need because there's all kinds right of things that have that have gotten wound up in me, got kind of rooted in me that I need to uproot, that I need to undo. And so, you know, lately, for example, it's been just sitting with my coffee for 10 minutes in quiet and listening to birds. Yes. I think Jesus said, watch them. I'm just listening to them. Yes. For me, you know, and of course he says that in the context of some words about anxiety, it turns out. He sure does. That is helping address kind of in an ongoing way my just baseline anxiety level. Mm. And that's enabling me when an anxiety-provoking moment arises to just approach it a little bit differently than I had been doing when I wasn't putting some of those practices in place. So that would be one. Therefore, I have that to draw on in an anxious moment like something that provokes yes. my anxiety, mm-hmm. I can actually tap into that process that I've been in. I can stop and I can be still because I'm practiced in that. I can mm-hmm. be silent because I know how to do that. I've been practicing Ugh. that. I'm letting myself be trained by practices like that so that I can navigate those moments a little better. Now, do I, I do it perfectly? No, I do right. absolutely don't do it perfectly. <laughs> oh, please say that again. That's so good. See, everybody <laughs> just take an exhale. Yeah, oh, well, we, we do not do it perfectly. <laughs> None of us do this perfectly. Right. You know, we wouldn't need mercy and grace if we were all doing it perfectly. Oh. And if we're supposed to grow in grace, that sort of implies we're going to keep needing grace, maybe more of it, the longer we go. That's not say that more news. and more. It does say more and more. Yes. Yeah. I just had this thought of you, like undoing is what leads to being, right? Because that is what you have to undo the human doing to be able to transform into human being. So I just saw a big chart just go off in my head in my own work <laughs> you know, just to help people go, listen, it's, it's, it's not, a, you know, it's a marathon. It's not, you're not going to sprint from human doing to human being. It really is a marathon. It takes a lot of time and effort and work and energy. (sighs) Okay. Thank you, Jim. I really wanted to dig into, I am a huge naturalist, love. Gary Thomas wrote a book uh, many moons ago about nine ways that we all perceive and get close to God. Well, I'm the naturalist. I, I just, I'm closer to God than ever when I'm around nature. And in your book, What Does Your Soul Love? You compare sea lilies. I know we're transitioning here, but we just have this short amount of time and it, it will all tie together because you know that we do that here. And so you compare sea lilies with desire. And if you would just let me for a minute, read this beautiful little excerpt. It's just an excerpt and you guys can read it when you get your copy, get it on Kindle. If you want, it's really quick. You can get it 
immediately, or you can order a copy. It says the bottom of the ocean is hidden to most of us, but as we've discovered, it contains beauty and life. Just as God created the ocean and everything in its depths, he sees and knows those deep places within us, even if we don't see or know what's happening there. What would it be like for you to go on your own spiritual submersible exploration to glimpse what is in your deepest levels of desire? This is coming from her her book, What Does Your Soul Love? And, and Jem, you dig into the concept or thoughts of desire and want. She continues, you may not have the ability right now to see, discern, or enjoy what lies in those depths. However, as you are ready, God may give you the vision to see what is there what he has created, what he has been nurturing. So good. There are aspects of you, are you listening, Heartlifter? Although hidden, are no less beautiful or valuable. As you dive into the deep level of desire, let this add to your understanding of how much God loves you. The ocean of God's love is enormous. It is good to feel the grandness of that at times as it can give a sense of freedom. God's love is greater than you can imagine. And it reminds me, we were talking beforehand. <laughs> Such good writing. <laughs> it's funny will. to hear someone read it back because you forget, it's, it's like you forget like, oh You're yeah, like, hey, that's, that's good. good. Hey, that's pretty good. How about that? <laughs> like, that's really good. Who wrote that? Oh, I wrote it. Yay. That's a good stepping back from it going, that's very good. God did that every day when he created. He said, that's yeah. good. So I did, we were talking about Christy and Bill Gautier. Did I probably say it wrong again? Gautier? I think that's right. Here. Yeah. Christy shared about her learning a time of healing for her when she floated in the Pacific Ocean and went through 1 Corinthians 13. And so it just reminds mm. me of that as well. And you can go back to that and listen to that beautiful episode with uh, Dr. Galtier. But you compare sea lilies with desire. Where did that come from? I can't remember exactly what happened, but somehow I stumbled on this article. Uh, about how back in the day, I think it was the 1800s, mm-hmm, yes. they didn't think that anything was in the deep ocean. They thought, because because to their eye, as and and they guessed that the further down you go, the less and less you'd see. Because how, how could anything possibly be there? Right. Which, I mean, you can already see how I would start to draw the <laughs> line between that right and desire. Yes, I do. <laughs> but I mean, even Socrates and Forbes, which is a different Forbes than, than the... Like a scientist guy. A scientist, scientist Forbes. Forbes. I mean, they were these were smart people saying there's mm-hmm. nothing down there. The further you go, the deader it is. Yeah. That's, that was their vision. That was wow. the... And so I just thought, man, that is so like us. But then there was this father and son, the SARS. Mm-hmm. Yep. They went down and at 10,000 feet, they found this... Feathery, beautiful. Have you looked it up? Have you Not Googled yet, it? Not yet, but I can't wait. You need to Google it because it I looks will. like a cross between like a, a plant. A, it's like a bunch of feathers, but feathers? like a spider. Like oh, and it looks like oh. a plant, but it's a I think it's a creature. Yeah, the creature. And they come in different colors. It's this frilly little thing, and you're like, that. How can that survive ten thousand feet Ow. down under the pressure? Mm-hmm. But God is great. And now we know, of course, they've been to the ocean floor and you can see all kinds of things living there. Yeah. And so I just I just thought to myself, man, that is just that's, like that, us, right? We don't believe there's anything there. Right. Or we're afraid to hope there's something there. There it is. 
There it right? is. I think. I think I think that speaks more, at least I think in the work that I do, because that lines up again with when you have had any kind of trauma or I know now we're in a collective trauma. So it's we just are. like, can there be anything good? Can there, can I have hope for anything? Yes. yes. And how does that speak then? Just because I really wanted my heart lifters to know the difference between a want and a desire, because just like we were talking before, number one, they don't think they're allowed to choose. And, and especially my generation, <laughs> I mm. think it's evolving more. I have two girls, I have a son too, but my two daughters are a little bit more emancipated. <laughs> yeah. You know, and their marriages are a little bit more, you know, where I'm still like, I got to ask for permission and, you know, that kind of uh, era. How do we know the difference between a want and a desire? I just thought that was so powerful. To me, for sure, I guess the starting place would be that desires, I think, are God-given. That's probably goes without saying, but... No, it doesn't, because I really don't think people... No, that's why I asked, because I have a lot of women, particularly, that'll be just like, I just don't know my purpose, my life's mattered, you know, and... They don't even think they're allowed to desire. I know that sounds Yes. Funny, well, that has true. come down through the church a little bit too. Emotions yeah. and desires. Did you want to say something? Yeah, so, I see him erupting here. <laughs> so, so here's what I want to say. What happens is, of course, that our desires get hijacked. Yeah. Oh, there we and, go. And But then we assume the desires are bad. No, they were hijacked. That's different. What does that mean? Help the us. The desires out. for love for meaning, you know, all the different sort of desires, they get hijacked by lust or by greed or by envy. And then I assume everything in me that looks like a desire is just bad because of how it got hijacked instead of, no, this is part of redemption, emotion, desire. This is good. You know, original goodness, Genesis 1 precedes original sin, Genesis 3 that we are not junk needing to be radically repurposed. We are masterpieces needing to be, you know, restored. And desire is one of those things that I could, by paying attention, notice something in my desires. Maybe I notice it's been hijacked. I can see in ways in which it it doesn't look like what I think it should. The step isn't chuck it or get rid of it or deny it it or shame it. Instead, I think you could say, God, what did you mean for this to be? Oh, mm. say it again. You know, ask God, God. <laughs> what did you mean this to be? Because I think every desire pointed in the direction of God and what God gives is a beautiful thing. It's energy. It's it's a motor for mm. life. It's motivation. But it's motivation that can be restored. It can be renewed. It can be revived mm-hmm. in God. Resurrected, right. Yeah. Or why did and we so have a resurrection, right? Hmm. Yeah. So that's, to me, you know, to see desire as something God-given and redeemable and offerable to God, that's an important thing to be able to do. So I love that you you really gave uh, the voice to the fact that in many ways we have been educated or like Jem, you were saying, it has been handed down through maybe skewed theology or skewed teaching through human beings, Mm -hmm. you know, but helping women to first and foremost, there's so much here. 
first and foremost, like one of the main works that I do is bring people back to their Genesis 2-7 beginning, where God mm-hmm. breathed their life into them. You know, that's our essence. That's who he created you to be. That's that Genesis 1 you were talking about right? That's who he created us to be before we came into this world and the world got breathed some of its own air on us. And so it's reclaiming that it's, it's coming home to that. However you want to say it psychologically, you know, it's, it's just finding your true self or whatever. I just call it your God breathed self. And so coming home to that, I just believe you're going to help many women come home to that today. Mm. And any of you men listening, there might be some, (laughs) yes. Anything you wanted to add? You look like you might want yeah, to. Yeah, I, well, in the book, I introduce a um, nine, you can call it nine steps, but that makes it sound linear, but nine part process for yeah. transformation. But I wanted share. to share, mm-hmm. I just wanted to share the first three, okay. because I think this speaks to what you were asking earlier is what is someone supposed to do if they want to step into the stream we're talking about? Yes. What, what, yes. what, what do, where do I start? What do I do? Thank you. So, so the first three it's called the posture of transformation. Mm-hmm. I know. I love the posture. It. What's the posture? In, my inner posture toward this. And it's three words. It's open, mm. aware, and willing. Yeah. So if you can, that's where you can start. You can start by asking yourself, am I open to becoming the kind of person I hope I am? Oh, right? So much. So <laughs> I have you- dreamed of being. I have a lot of women that, you know, I dreamed of being this or I, yeah. My guess is whatever it is you're dreaming, that's that place of desire. And it's probable that you are that already. Mm -hmm. You just forgot it. It got tramped down. It's down in there somewhere and we got to lift it up. So, Mm -hmm. are but so ask yourself at the very beginning, are you open to that? Because then that means you can move forward. If you're not open to something, nothing's going to happen. Right. That's correct. Absolutely. Just logical. That's my so, word for the year is open. Yeah. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I love how so this works. You can ask yourself if you're open. And then if you say yes to that, now you just open your eyes more often. Are you aware? Are you noticing what's actually going on around you and in you? You just sort of, I'm open and I'm aware. See, it's the, it's the beginning posture of the whole thing. You're not it doing is. anything yet. You're just like, yes, oh. I'm open. And you're waking up I'm, though. It's like you're waking you're up. You're waking. Your you're waking yourself. And now you start watching. What are my mm-hmm. desires? Mm-hmm. What are these thoughts going in my head? How much pressure do I feel right now? What can I do about that? Like you could just ask yourself a million questions. How aware are you of what's going on? And right. I call that, I just call that the fodder. Just get all the fodder out and write it down and look at yes. it. And then you know, what, know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is willing. Mm-hmm. Now that you see what's going on, are you willing to do something about it? Mm-hmm. And then there's more ways yes. you can get the book and read the other six. Get the book and I will have them in the show notes. Do you know I will have yeah. them in there? I'll have all nine steps, but I want you yes. to get Jem's book because I think this is where many of, you know, I always will include myself. Many of us are here. We need a refresher, especially at this time uh, where even more anxiety is coming that now things are being lifted and we don't have to, you know, go through protocols and all that. So that is bringing in and of itself another set of anxiety, I believe. But I love that. I know we have a common love for the work of Philena Hertz, you know, and she talks mm. about sleepwalking. And so I just, I think that's what you're saying in, in your beautiful way is that just wake up to your life, you know, wake up. And I think Alan, you've said it this whole entire time that to me, that is the first step. It is the first step to, 
it's the portal, you know, it's like the first step in undoing is to wake up and go, oh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually a living being, yeah. which is what I try to say. Go back to that moment when the breath came in and you were a living being, you were not just a living doing existing in this world. Right. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Okay. I've got to be really, <laughs> whew, I gotta be a good steward. Cause you guys got things to do and people to see in your unhurried way. Um, <laughs> Alan, I've heard you say this so many times, and it's just so beautiful. Presence is learning how to bring who I am into God's presence. Hmm. Learning who to bring who I am into God's presence. But then you expand that and you say, but I wasn't quite sure that certain emotions were allowed in God's presence, uh, let alone anybody's presence. I loved it. I, I laugh out loud when I heard you say that. And I know many of us feel that way. So I was just wondering, I don't even think I was allowed to even be aware I had emotions. You know, I'm mm. walking with Jesus 40 years, so go back four decades to theology that was taught back then, you know. <sighs> Can you just inform us quickly as we close on how do we bring, you've said a lot of it already, but maybe just a summation, either or both of you, a summation of how we can feel confident in the sense mm. that we can bring all of this into God's presence, that it's okay that we have anger, unbridled anger, even rage, yelling. We have we have these emotions that, yeah. yeah. Well, so what I can say is I continue to be a learner when yeah. it comes to this. For my own reasons, you know, I just had my 60th birthday this year. Welcome to the club. There you go. Okay. And not me. the good news is Jim is not <laughs> close to that yet. He's got somebody to go. Please keep loving um, those 50s. Yes. But um, it's been helpful for me to realize that the only me I can bring into the presence of God is the me that actually is. Mm. This pretend very spiritual, and in my case, as a pastor, that's a vocational hazard. Like, I yes, have to yes. bring pastor me into the presence yes. of God. But Please if don't. the Psalms, for example, yeah, if the Psalms have anything to say to us, mm. What they demonstrate just as plain as day is there's nothing in me that is not perfectly safe to bring into the presence of God because it's already in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Like God already knows I'm angry or God already knows I'm depressed or God already knows I'm fearful. Mm -hmm. And my pretending that I'm not isn't prayer. It's a little game I play in the presence of God. But what I could do instead is realize my anger God's not overwhelmed by that. Mm. God's not offended by that. God doesn't look at me and oh, you're angry. Yeah. What were you thinking? You what know? on earth? You know, <laughs> but instead, you know. Oh, that would be so a, awful. Oh, can you imagine? But but no. that's the image of God. I well, think a lot of people of can, have. though. That's what's you know, the truth of that is a lot of people can. So you have to heal, as we say here all the time, you have to heal your your image of our Heavenly Father for sure. And that's, that's the work yeah. that we're trying to give others. To and the good them. news is, when I bring these place, these unpleasant places in me into the presence of God, I discover God loves to transform things. Mm. And he may very well transform that anger into an energy that I could then use oh, for yes. good work. Mm-hmm. Instead of energy that I deny or try to shove away or try to push away, I mm-hmm. could find a way to include it mm-hmm. in the presence of God as a way of my actually living. So that has been my slow journey of learning how everything in me is is safe to pray. 
And praying it is a journey toward it becoming what God meant it to be. Mm, Thank you so much. This is so, so helpful. I think everybody is taking a huge exhale of misplaced expectations in many ways of what it means to walk and follow Jesus. And I think that's what I maybe love the most about your work. There's a million things. But for me, at where I was in the time when I found the two of you was... I just exhaled these misaligned expectations that that Jesus wasn't placing on my life or my leadership. And so please, everyone, go to unhurriedliving.com. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. And check out everything about Jim and Alan Fadling and all their conferences and all their teaching and all their goodness and their Instagram and all the things. And uh, I am going to be giving away a free book. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to my website and just go to the very top bright pink bar and put your little email in there. And I will know those of you who have listened today, I have my ways and I'll put you in that big old beautiful magic hat of mine and pull out a name and mail you a little love gift. So thank you, Jim. Thank you, Alan. What an honor. Our community thanks you. And I pray that you continue to just write words as hard as it is. (laughs) (laughs) Get them down on paper and help us all in our process of undoing. Thank you, Janelle. It's been been wonderful. It's been great to be with you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.